for the week of July 17th, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 589, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in London, I'm Michael Giltz. That's right. You're actually in London, not like London, Texas or London, Tennessee. Or imaginary London. I'm actually in London, England. I'm here with my mom. She's going on a trip to Germany with my sister. I'm staying off Barclay Square. I'm going to the theater. It's very exciting. I love being in London. We're here for about a month, but I really can't wait to get back to New York. Well, why do you want Don't to go back to you? Just got to, to fly. I simply got to. If someone takes a I, spill, I, it's I, me and not you. Oh, Who told I got you it. I got it. I know. I know. I got it. I'm not going to rain on your parade. I know Beanie Feldstein is leaving, Funny Girl, but I, you know what? Are you hey, up Mr. for the part? Did you get the part? Congratulations. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. Way. Okay. I had Wait, no idea you oh, were up I'm for the sorry. part. Oh, 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 I got a phone call. Yeah. What? Lea Michelle is available? Oh. Oh. Yeah. She oh. might get that. Not going to lie. She's probably going to get that, yeah. that role. Fanny, Lea Michelle, Fanny Bryce. to yeah. surprise of no one, has been cast as Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. The gods have demanded it. Apparently, it was cast with uh, another actress years ago. Then that fell apart. And that was cast with Beanie Feldstein. Uh, it wasn't working out commercially or creatively, unfortunately. She's a great talent, but not a great voice. Um, but she's fun. People like her. But this just wasn't the slam dunk that they needed. And the one thing that would really goose the box office, however controversial or however, you know, a tattered past she has with classmates from Glee and elsewhere, people want to see her in this role. She's kind of a little polarizing as a person, but she can sing. She can act. I've seen her on stage. She was great in Spring Awakening. So, you know, finally, finally, it has happened. She will be in Funny Girl. And whatever you think of her personally, everybody's going to want to see how she does in this show. Won't change the show. They've still got these huge, ugly staircases. The book isn't as good as it should be. But her and Tova Feldsha, it's a shame she won't get to be with uh, Jane Lynch from Glee for a few weeks. But her and Tova Feldsha, that's... Yeah, because Tova Feldsha was the actress, you know, another actress cast now to replace Jane Lynch. Right, and she'll be playing her mother, and she's a great stage performer. So that's a lot of talent. Um, it's not a great show, I don't think. I don't think it's a great movie, but it is perhaps a great role and certainly a great showcase and has great songs, and she can sing them. So we'll have to see. I'm excited. But, you know, here I am. I'm in London. I'm seeing theater here. I saw Jack Sparrow flies again at the National Theater just, just tonight. I just got home from that. Uh, um, wait a second. Wait a second. It's uh, Jack Sparrow. So, how, well, oh. I guess my question would be, how <laughs> is Johnny Depp? I meant, I meant uh, Jack Absolute. It's called Jack Absolute Flies Again, uh, which is two puns on alcohol, which I guess Johnny Depp would approve of. It's a show in London at the National from the team behind One Man, Two Governors, which was a huge hit comedy in London and then New York. It made James Corden, who was already a star in the UK, a big star in the US as well. He was so great, so incandescent. They gave him a talk show. So that show, everybody thought, wow, can they do it again? And most say lightning hasn't quite struck again, but it's funny. I'm like, funny's good. I'll take funny. But actually, I thought it was better than funny. I thought it really landed well. Strong cast. There's no one sensual, I'm a star performance, but everybody is really good from top to bottom. So uh, I highly recommend it. And tickets are, you know, I went to the National. I got $20 seats, third row, dead center. Great seats. You know, there are 
more expensive seats, obviously, but you know, the national is great subsidized theater. You can see a great show. I'm going to be seeing a lot of theater. I saw 101 Dalmatians, a musical at the Regent park open air. Not so good. Now I've seen Jack absolute. That was really good. So I'm looking forward to all the other shows I'll be seeing in the next few weeks and I'll be here through mid August. So if you're in London, come say hi, I'm off Barclay square. Now, when you do make it over to New York and you apparently are not going to be on stage no, for Fanny. No. Uh, yeah, but, but for Funny Girl. over yet again, just like Bob Yeah, Hall but you'll be the in the audience. audience. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, when you make it there, are, are you making it, I don't know, you know, sometime before the end of August? I think so. I think so. Yes, yes. Well, then you should go see Mr. Saturday Night and you better do that fast. Well, that's because Mr. Saturday Night starring Billy Crystal is closing September 4th, which is... Let me look that up. Yes, look Let it up. Look. Uh, carry the tea. It's a Sunday. It's a, a Sunday. Sunday. Talk about bad timing. Billy Crystal, you end the show, Mr. Saturday Night, on a Saturday, not a Sunday. You don't wait for the Sunday matinee. You close it Saturday night and say, I'm done. I'm out of here. Come on. Ridiculous. Oh, well. It's a, it's a shame. I know where I'm going to be in New York. I'm in London now. And I know where you're going to be on July 21st through August 6th in 2028. Uh, is this, well, 2028, I would imagine this has to be some kind of Olympics thing. You are not wanting to be in LA because that's when the Olympics are taking place. You know what? Everybody says that uh, the 1984 Olympics, every, everybody thought it was going to be Carmageddon. You know, that, right. that it, you, they every, actually everybody took, stayed away. So it was actually not that bad people. Yes. The, the, what everybody said, I wasn't here during that particular time. They said they took boulevards and would make one entire boulevard with stretches all the way across town, go in one direction. And then they take a parallel boulevard and make it go in the other direction just to ease traffic. But so many people left that there was nobody on the streets. <laughs> hey, have you seen that new uh, ribbon of light bridge on 6th Street in Los Angeles? I have not, yeah. not yet. I know that the, there's a famous bridge that's in countless movies that is here in Los Angeles. Uh, they basically upgraded it and uh, built lots, a new one. Lots of pretty lights. And it's supposed to be fantastic. Yeah. You know, do we need to do entertainment news? We could just chat about ourselves all night long. Yeah, what? Trust us, we're way better than like. I mean, what are we going to talk about? Jennifer Lopez. I mean, what has she done lately? Wait, <laughs> what? So, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we say let's do the time warp. Yeah, or maybe that should be the time zone dance because, of course, you're you're in London, Michael, and I'm in Los Angeles, and we're both very tired from traveling and from waking up early to do. You interviews. do know that it's, was a Rocky Horror reference, right? Yes, I almost got my toast and rice and threw it around my own. Yeah. <laughs> what time is it so, there? What day is it there? We've given up trying. Yeah, well, we haven't given up on bringing you the latest entertainment news. China really isn't a fan of Marvel, by the way. You should write that down and uh, you can really place your money on that. Or I should say the Chinese government isn't a fan of Marvel. We'll discuss why during box office. Two movie people were arrested this past week, one for terrible reasons by Iran and one for perhaps justifiable reasons by the LAPD. We'll discuss. And of course, the Emmy nominations came out. Overlooked again. again. Yes, oh, wait, passed we over. We don't, we don't do a TV show. That's right. No, no, no. We have the face for radio and the voice for um, silence. Mime. Actually, <laughs> the voice for mime. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's it. I'm writing that one down. That, Thank you very much. I'm one. here through Saturday. Saturday. <laughs> well, if you were going to close early, you should definitely close on Saturday. Saturday. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're going to discuss who the the big I don't want to say winners, but who the big nominees were, all the all the notable achievements in the Emmy nominations. During Inside Baseball, we've got some T-bone steak for you. It's already on the grill. Actually, T-bone Burnett has a hot property with that new cover of Blowing in the Wind. He recorded with Bob Dylan. You know, T-Bone Burnett, the big musician producer. Now, that that track sold for $1.8 million at auction. We should Your cover Spotify- Blowing in the Wind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I walked over uh, here, Joe. I, I, <laughs> I, I assume that uh, the Spotify subscription is going to go up now because if I listen to that, they're, you yeah. know. Oh, wow. That's a big monthly rate increase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, actually, T-Bone wants the music business to become more like the art world and Ew. we'll explain why. Yeah. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. Turk, boy, we discuss a lot this week. We use I used the word discuss a lot in the introduction, didn't I? I did notice that. <laughs> uh, we should discuss that later. Anyway, let's look at the worldwide box office for the week ending July 17th. Did we have a show last week? We did not. No, we did not. But it's pretty much exactly the same, except we do have some crawdads to talk about. (laughs) That's right. The number one movie around the world is Thor, Love and Thunder. Almost $200 million this week. It's at $500 million worldwide. We're talking about the worldwide box office for the entire week. When people talk about how much Thor made over the weekend, they say, oh, it made $106 million. That sounds great. Not nearly as big as $196 million. They're ignoring $90 million made on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Wouldn't you rather say it made $200 million last week? That's a much bigger number. It gets people more excited. And since Thor dropped kind of hard from last week, it's good to pump up the daily numbers. $200 million sounds better than $100 million. Just saying, Hollywood, get on the full week bandwagon. But that's a big hit. It's doing it without China, and the Hollywood Reporter makes a really good point, don't they? And what is that? That uh, oh well, actually, here's what here's what. Uh, forget the Hollywood Reporter. You know what every exhibitor is talking about, and frankly, equipment manufacturer in the cinema industry. They're all going. You know all this money that uh, Top Gun made, and Thor's making, and even I think the Minions. I could be oh, wrong yeah. about that, but you know, it's all without China. There's no China in those numbers. Right, which means those movies could make even more money. It's not that the Chinese market doesn't matter. It's not that Hollywood suddenly doesn't care about making money. They would happily play in China and ignore human rights abuses and all that stuff if they could get away with it, and China would just let them. But China has kept its market closed. They want to protect their local industry. They think that's the best way to do it, and they're wrong because they got a lot of cinemas. I forget. I think Celluloid Junkie had a number on how many cinemas in China are shut down right now? Like 6,000 screens or something like that? I'm saying that off 4, the top. 4,000 4, locations. 4,000 locations. So it is more like 6,000 screens probably. So yeah, we all want the Chinese people to be free and human right abuses to end and for the Chinese market to be healthy and good. But they're not letting movies in. And the Hollywood Reporter pointed out, yes, Thor, Love and Thunder is not playing in China. Guess what? The last seven Marvel movies have been blocked from playing in China. Have they all offended the Chinese sensibilities in some way? No, they're just 
too popular. The sense is that China just doesn't want them to be big hits in China. They want Chinese movies to be on top. And if they let these Hollywood movies play, they will dominate. There's no other explanation for why Black Widow, The Eternals, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and they're not even all Disney. Spider-Man, No Way Home, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Thor, Love and Thunder. None of them are playing in China. So that's clearly an act by China to say, yeah, it's as if Star Wars in its heyday, they said, yeah, we don't want those in our country. Too big, too popular. So I thought that was very interesting. I hadn't realized it. So good for Hollywood Reporter to point that out. But Thor did fall kind of hard from last week, but still it's at half a billion. It's not going to be the total success that they would love. It didn't get quite as good reviews as Wakiki's last movie for uh, Marvel, but it's doing all right. Number one around the world is Thor, Love and Thunder at $200 million. Number two, Minions, The Rise of Gru, making $133 million. That's also past the half billion dollar mark, $533 million worldwide. And we've already forgotten about the fake scandal of children running riot in cinemas. They wanted to wear suits, people. Let them. <laughs> it's okay. Number three is Top Gun Maverick, $53 million this week, still making money. $1,237,000,000 worldwide. It's now July 18th. July 11th was 45 days after its opening. It's Paramount's biggest worldwide hit ever, not adjusted for inflation, but still a massive hit. Um, can you now stream it or watch it on demand? Or what's the deal in North America? Do you know? Are they keeping this out of the home for a few weeks like they should? Uh, Top Gun? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, you know, because I just, I've seen the film. I don't need to, you know, but I, look, when it comes on to like Amazon Prime, eventually I'll probably see it again. Uh, I'm why not would, why would it be Amazon Prime? You mean to rent? Yeah, to rent or, or, or I guess Paramount uh, Plus is where it would end up, right? Right now, it's not well, on Paramount I, I can't check because I'm in the UK. It looks like, I don't know when I could buy it. It's, it's pre-ordering still to buy for $12 in the UK. Um, and it's a different market. So you'd have to look on Just Watch or somewhere else in North well, right, America. Right now, you can buy it uh, on pre-order. Google Play. Pre-order? Pre- uh, I believe so, yes. Well, so uh, that means you're uh, not buying it. you got to wait, which they haven't released it yet. We want to know when it's going to be released. So if they are uh, pausing this movie, it looks like perhaps they've waited at least a week. It's still making good money worldwide. They should wait. For God's sakes, make every penny out of it you can. Let it be as big as it can, because when it comes on demand and home video, it'll still be really popular. It'll be more popular. You know, releasing a movie in theaters is a great way to make people want to watch it on your streaming service. And so I'm on I'm on Google's uh, thing. I, I, I hit pre-order Google? 4K. <laughs> well, because that's the, it's one of the two places. Now, it does say automatically plays in highest. So I can pre-order it. It does not say when. However, it will be available. What it just if, says pre-order it. Shouldn't Paramount Plus be where we check? Well, I, I will I check that. From you know, it doesn't actually uh, say. Oh. Uh, it's not. It's not on Paramount Plus either. They're not showing it to say, "Hey, get ready for." It. Maybe they don't want to show yeah. it until it's ready. Hmm. So we're God. We are happy if Paramount is holding off and saying, "No, it's a cinema movie. We're making lots of money. It would be stupid to let pirated copies spread everywhere." And People are fine waiting a few weeks. They don't, you don't, people are not chopping at the bit. They're stupid if they think everyone's like, where is that movie? It's been 45 days. It's still making money in the theaters. Leave it alone. But it is making money. $53 million this week. Right below that is a Chinese Hong Kong thriller. It's Detective versus Sluice, 
a sort of sequel. I'm putting that in quotes. It seems to be a sequel in spirit only, but it made $36 million this week. It's at $60 million worldwide. Right below that is another Chinese hit. It's Lighting Up the Stars. This really is a big hit. This is that drama we talked about, a funeral director who gets out of prison or something, and he befriends a little girl who I guess is an orphan. In any case, it made $34 million this week. It's at $210 million worldwide. I bet it still would have made that money if they'd allowed Thor, Love and Thunder to play in the theaters. They're complimentary movies. They're not gonna take business away from each other. They can still have big hits, as they've proven, alongside Hollywood movies, but they're still obsessed of not wanting to go head-to-head -head in China against big Hollywood movies. Are they afraid of Elvis? That movie made $31 million this week. It's at $186 million worldwide. Uh, it would need to make about $250 million to be considered you know, a hit from box office alone, and it looks like it might just get there. Jurassic World Dominion is still trugging along. $26 million this week. $900 million worldwide, including $150 million in China. That movie would not look so great if it was at $750 million. It would still be a hit, but they spent a lot of money promoting it. I'm sure they are very glad to be healthily in the black. You know, uh, I can tell you that the, the Chinese thing isn't only about Marvel and them wanting their own. I mean, yes, it's about partially it's about Marvel. Uh -huh. uh, and it's also about the fact that Disney owns Marvel. And so it's a pushback against Disney without them having to, to deal with the whole Shanghai Disneyland of it all. But it's also uh, Are they angry a pushback against... Well, I think uh, after Shang-Chi, yes. Uh, I also think... Well, because that, there was a glimpse of a, an accidental glimpse of a newspaper on the streets of New York um, in one scene that Disney did not plan. No, 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 no. That, that was in Spider-Man. That was in Spider-Man. Oh, sorry. That was in Doctor Strange, that not in, uh, Shang-Chi. Why are they angry about Shang-Chi? I've the, forgotten. The, the casting of the actor who, who taught, spoke out against uh, uh, spoke out but against again, China. It's Sony this movies is more, as well. It's Sony movies as well. So it's not about Disney. Or certainly, right. you know, when all the last seven or eight Marvel movies are blocked and some three of them are from Sony, it's not about Disney. As you know, as a get-even thing necessarily, it's about not wanting this hugely popular franchise to get any bigger in China. I think, well, it's also I think about right. where does it come from? The U.S. aren't don't they have sanctions or, or or tariffs against us right now? Yeah, you know what? Maybe we won't get. Well, maybe we won't help but, them out. But Jurassic World Dominion is playing in China. Yeah, one not movie. Locking, out well, of I don't know. Elvis is playing in China too. I think. Oh, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll find the out. Chinese chart. It doesn't matter. I think they haven't blocked all American movies. They seem to have zeroed in especially on Marvel because it's a big franchise. But there's a movie they probably won't block and might appeal to the Chinese audience. It's Where the Crawdads Sing, the new film based on the very popular novel. $17 million in its opening week in North America, kind of over overdoing what the expectations were. A good, solid, strong opening week. We'll have to see if this has legs. If adults and older people and women will turn out for this movie it certainly had a good opening i'm here in london walking towards piccadilly circus passing waterstones the big bookstore chain massive massive where the crawdads sing display in the front window like they have a swamp in the big one it's a huge swamp rhoda could not have done a good job like this it's a swamp and crickets and frogs and everything is in there to promote the book and the movie and then you go inside and upstairs you can see the bedroom of the kid from heartstopper they are really promoting their stuff at waterstones so that hey, question did you read the book i have the graphic novel 
No, no, no. Oh, no, where no, the crawdad? No, you know, no, I haven't. I have it, but I have not read it. Did you like it? Uh, I thought it was. You know, it's 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 uh, a story who it's a, it's a page turner. I'll say that it's definitely got some uh, cliched tropes in there. Uh, you know, kind of a Tennessee Williams cliched tropes where you're like, really, you're gonna mm-hmm. make that character speak that way? Okay, uh, but but it's definitely a page turner. Yeah, I can see why it's adaptable, and I can see why it was so popular. That's for uh, sure. I'm profiling Joyce Carol Oates for Parade Magazine, and I've been reading her books. And Blonde is about Marilyn Monroe and the new film coming out, which looks the trailer is terrific. I think. Uh, that book is really great. If you're looking for a page turner, it's like Marilyn Monroe. There she is living and breathing in all her contradictions. A really, really good novel. Um, but back to the movies. The Black Phone is up there. And the Ethan Hawke horror film, that made $16 million this week. It's at $115 million worldwide. Ethan Hawke knows how to pick his B-movies. Plus, he's got the CNN documentary about Paul Newman. Uh, he was just in, you know, uh, uh, The Good Lord Bird for Showtime, I think it was, in that miniseries starring his drama. I mean, he's a very, very interesting talent. I've always liked him, interviewed him a few times, but uh, he's really interesting. He's really having a fun career. Uh, Mozart from Space is a new film on the charts here. This is a Chinese family film about a boy and a very talented alien who's really good at music. Thus, Mozart from Space. That opened to $16 million. I forgot to watch the trailer, but I can't imagine it's that good. (laughs) It does not look that good. you asked about uh, Elvis. I yeah. think, uh, Michael, Michael, you're all shook up because Elvis has not been released no. in China. Have you looked at their chart to see what is playing in the China top 10? Yes, I have. And uh, Mozart from Space, by the way, is right up there. It's number three. Lighting up the stars would be number two. <laughs> Jurassic <laughs> World Dominion, number four. Are there any other American Octonauts movies? Any other is any- number five. Is that a, is that no a other No other American movies. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're always a week behind on the numbers from China and India and all that stuff, so it's very annoying. You know what I love, though? What? Here's what I love. Number 12 on their chart mm-hmm. is Jurassic Land and Dinosaurs. It's like they kind of were like, how do we, how do we profit from this <laughs> new fascination with dinosaurs? Let's make a quick, <laughs> a yeah. quick copy. Well, Disney won't be quite profiting from the Toy Story spinoff Lightyear. That made $8 million this week. It's at $213 million worldwide. It really seems to have just fallen off a cliff a bit. It's really slowing down. It costs $200 million to make, so just $200 million worldwide so far. It doesn't have much further to go, so that's a shame. Uh, Paul's a furry. Oh, sorry, Paul's a fury. That works too, though, furry. Paul's a fury, the legend of Hank. That new low-budget animated film made $6 million in its opening week. There's an Indian drama about a scientist who was accused of, uh, wrongly accused of espionage, who was later, you know, cleared, called Rocketry, the Nambi effect. And that movie had a modest opening last week of $2 million, has now made another $2 million this week. And then finally, I really want to see this movie. I saw a charming trailer for it uh, in front of Downton Abbey, A New Age, and it's called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Based on a beloved, charming little novel, it stars Leslie Manville, and uh, I think Julia Pinoche is in the film as well. And it looks like a, a movie you take your mom to, but it looks like a good, solid movie. Uh, great British cast, charming story. I like nice, friendly movies. Why not? It's not Julia Pinoche. It's uh, the, the the woman who was in Piano, whose name is now complete. I don't know what it is. I think I have Isabel Hubert. 
Yes, thank you. Isabel Huppert. Uh, yes. I'm, you know, I just saw an interview with Julia Pinoche, and that's why I got confused. I think she's in some other arty film because she's a great talent. Uh, but we don't have a chart for Malaysia. But one of the trades was reporting that the Malaysian action drama um, Mat Kilau is the highest grossing Malaysian film of all time. And yes, I tried to look up the pronunciation. So if you're Malaysian and I got it wrong, tell me. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave Michael a voicemail with that pronunciation, and we will play it in one of our next episodes. Our number is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, where our handle is at showbizsandbox. And we're on Facebook, where you can like us, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. I'll say it's Matt Key Lau, and they'll be like, no, it's Matt Key Lau. I'll be like, okay, Matt Key Lau. They're like, no, Matt Key Lau. <laughs> it's like sometimes you just can't get it right. Anyway, this movie has made $12 million so far after about 13 days of box office, but it's not just in Malaysia. The box office that's reported is for Malaysia, Singapore, where my dad lived for a decade, and Brunei. Uh, all three are thrown in together. In Malaysia alone, it probably has made at least $9 million dollars in the film, Matt Kilau is a melee warrior who fought the British occupiers in the late 1800s. Sorry about that occupation, because I am British. Like some films in India, it's a big popcorn flick, but also has undertones of nationalism. Malaysia is a very ethnically diverse country, but in the film, all Malays are heroes, and everybody else, including Chinese and Indians, are villains. By the way, a third of Malaysian citizens are Chinese or Indian. Like 30% of the country. So everybody get along. Hopefully they can all enjoy the movie. But it is cool to know uh, about different hits around the world. If we don't cover them, do contact us and let us know. Finally, a little windowing note. Uh, we were talking about Top Gun Maverick, and that brings us to Mr. Malcolm's List. This movie got okay reviews, but it has a nice, fun, young cast. It opened on July 1st, and it's going to be available for rental and on-demand July 21st, just more, you know, 20 days after the movie opened. First weekend, the movie made 800000 on 1,300 screens. Wow. Second week, it made another 800000 but it had dropped big time over the weekend and lost 300 screens. Now the third weekend, it's down to just $22,000, and it's down to about 150 screens. So... Either audiences ran screaming in the other direction, or is it also possible because this is focused features and a universal film, theater owners, exhibitors didn't really want to support it. They're like, we'll give you opening week, but we know you're throwing this on, on demand after 17 days. So why should we keep it on our screens? You know, what's going on? Is, is, are they just killing themselves? People say, well, I know it's going to be available in a, in a week. Why bother? Or are theaters rebelling against the studio that still wants to have this extremely short window i mean what's going on here do you think i think that uh the movie was kind of released it almost as an afterthought people barely knew it was being released mm -hmm. uh and i and of course universal has this deal where they get to release films uh that do not open to over 50 million dollars they get to release them on their own platforms uh or you know to vod premium vod so you still have to pay you know 20 25 dollars to to see the film 17 days later, that's that's the, the rule. Thank you very much, AMC, for creating that little debacle. Uh, but And they don't want to give that up because, of course, they're owned by Comcast, one of the largest providers of video on demand in North America. 
Isn't it time Comcast should realize that they can make more money by having a movie be a hit film in theaters, get back the cost of making a movie, or at least have a chance at it, and then have a more popular film to show on their thing? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like free advertising for when you bring it to on demand. You know, it's just uh, if you want to make a TV movie, make a TV movie. If you want to put it in theaters, the expense and cost of putting it out there isn't worth it if you're only going to play it for 17 days. I agree. Yeah, oh well. And uh, that's uh, that winds up box office and takes us right into social justice. Uh-oh. Two arrests this week. One, perhaps good news if justice is being served, and the other, definitely bad news. Oh, where the hell? I thought I wrote a third thing down in here. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, anyway... Eric Weinberg is a Hollywood producer whose biggest credit is probably co-exec producer on the TV sitcom Scrubs, a very fun, beloved show. He's also the man arrested by the LAPD to face a number of sexual assault charges taking place over like eight years, so 2012 to 2019. They say, the LAPD that is, he would target young women anywhere he saw them, grocery stores, bookstores, convince them to do a photo shoot and then try and sexually assault them. They are also urging other women to come forward, and indeed, later news reports say a number of other women have reportedly come forward. He is now out on $3.2 million bail. Presumably, he denies the charges, though I haven't seen any quote from him or an attorney. He also worked on stuff like Veronica's Closet, Californication, ironic, among other things, but his last credit on IMTB was in 2016. So... Good news for people who are looking for justice if he is found guilty and uh, just an ugly story that's so familiar in Hollywood, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know what is also familiar? Mm -hmm. um, filmmakers being arrested in Iran. Yeah. And we have uh, another one, uh, Jafar Panahi. He was arrested, um, and I get to say this again. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I get to throw in the word again because I, I thought he was under house arrest. I'm like, how, how are they knew exactly where you were? You were under house arrest. Uh, he was the third director that was arrested by the Iranian government within a week. And of course, Panahi is the director of The Circle. This is not a film. And uh, lots of award winners. He won the Golden Bear in Berlin back in 2015. Uh, he is without a doubt one of the country's top artistic directors. I don't know about, you know, uh, you know, box office wise. Not, uh, yeah, I don't think so. But yeah. Yeah, well, he has been arrested a couple times before for political reasons, and he, he went to the authorities to check up on the arrest of another director. He was yeah. actually like, hey, guys, you know, you arrested my what? What do you mean I'm arrested? Yeah, like, don't question the government. So more power to him. He's a brave man. Uh, he loves his country. It's so hard. Uh, you know, I, I like Iran. I find it an interesting country. I'd love to go visit there someday. Fascinating culture and history. But it'd be nice if they got rid of the repressive government. Yeah, well, I would say don't make a film there uh, if you don't want to be arrested. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't feel safe going. To, I wouldn't go to Russia. I wouldn't visit a Russia or Iran uh, just being gay. I wouldn't want to. Not that I was planning to go on dates while I'm there, but I just I wouldn't feel comfortable in a country where I could be arrested in jail just for being who I am. Plus, they might Although, look at my social media. <laughs> yeah, plus, if you if you did uh, and you were arrested, I'm, I'm thinking TV miniseries, which yeah, could then be nominated for an Emmy. Oh, what a nice segue. That's right. You all have seen all the Emmy nominations. They've been analyzed and talked about. Still, it's worth taking a moment to remember some of the big, big achievements in these Emmy nominations. Uh, the big one is an obvious one, isn't it? How do you say congratulations in Korea? Um, yo, congratulations. <laughs> well done. Well done. You must be dubbing the movie into English. What show are we talking about? Uh, Squid Game. 
That's Maybe. right. It's the first non-English language show nominated for best drama. Does that mean a non-English language show was nominated for best sitcom? I don't think so. Did that call my agent? Did the French sitcom get nominated for best comedy? I don't think so. It also got lots of acting nods. I mean, it's one of the big competitors. It would be awesome to see it win. Uh, another show I'm kind of rooting for is Quinta Brunson. This act, this actress, writer, producer, she is the first black woman and perhaps the first woman of color to win three nominations for a show in one season. She's nominated for writing, producing, and acting in the sitcom Abbott Elementary. And yes, that is a funny, solid, three, you know, multi-camera, old school. Well, actually, it's not multi-camera. It's it's a. I was going to say the, It's a mockumentary the few style, I've seen. isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but it's a. It's just a, It feels not like some rule-breaking sitcom, but a classic sitcom in a way. I guess really the influence of the UK office and other stuff has really made that so familiar. I didn't even think of it as being a different type of sitcom anymore, but it ain't two and a half men. It's a very funny show though. Good, solid, funny show, Abbott Elementary. Are there any other, I don't know. There's a million accomplishments in terms of transgender and people of color and this and that. Zendaya, for example, she is the youngest two-time nominee for Best Actress for her work in HBO's Euphoria. And she's the youngest person ever to get a producing nomination also for Euphoria. And on that show, she also got, I think, a she co-wrote an episode and, or she contributed lyrics to a song. So she's all over the place on Euphoria. Very cool to see. And Dave Chappelle, his the closer, despite all the controversy around it, apparently he and, uh, oh God, what's his name? <laughs> the Emmy winner, the Grammy winner for Best Comedy Album. Dave Chappelle? No, the Grammy winner for Best Comedy Album. Uh, uh, Louis C.K.? There you go. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're going to hang out together. Louis C.K. wins a Grammy. Maybe Dave Chappelle will win a, an Emmy for The Closer for Best Comedy Special. He got a nomination, but the special from Jared Carmichael did not. However, our friend Bo Burnham, friend of the show, pal of mine. No, I just think he's a really talented guy. Too tall, but very talented. Bo Burnham is nominated for Best Director for that Jared Carmichael special. It's very good. You should see it. He's done... Jared Carmichael. He's done uh, 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 Chris Rock. I mean, he's a very talented director and writer and performer himself. And now he's directing theater. He's going to go off Broadway and direct the one-woman show Kate, starring, not me, but stand-up comic and actress Kate Berlant. And that starts in New York in September. Very excited to see that. Lots of other shows. Succession, Ted Lasso, and The White Lotus are front runners for drama, along with, of course, uh, 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 Squid Game as well as only Murders in the Building, Stranger Things, Euphoria. Uh, no nominations for Yellowstone or Reservation Dogs. That's a shame. Made, Pachinko. Those are all, you know, Yellowstone is a huge hit, and those others are very acclaimed. I mean, right away, that's a good response to say, you know what, they should be a 10. There's so damn many shows. You would do 10, and people would say, what about? And have a legitimate beef. So if you've got that many shows to celebrate, why not do it? You know, but they didn't even not acknowledge, on a better sense, the series ending of This Is Us and Blackish. So maybe those shows were a little bit out of steam. It would be nice to know they weren't just repeating their nominations year after year after year. And whereas Only Murders in the Building got lots of love, Selena Gomez did not get love for her Best Actress performance, though she did get a nomination as a producer on that show. So that's kind of cool for her. So you're um, saying it's a big deal? <laughs> well, yeah, I, we could do that. We could say it's a big deal. Absolutely. 
Okay, well then, if it's that's a big deal, then I wonder what you think of some of the stories in our Big Deal or Big Whoop segment. Uh, you know, it's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Here's our first story. Producer Garth Drabinsky, I could pretty much just stop there, okay? <laughs> because anybody who knows him is like, yeah, why are we talking about him? Uh, he hoped for a big comeback with the Broadway musical Paradise Square. Instead, the man once jailed for fraud related to past theatrical ventures is back in hot water. Paradise Square closed shortly after the Tonys thanks to mixed reviews and poor box office. That's when actors were worried after the show and said their latest checks wouldn't be direct deposited, but you could stop by the theater because they're just physical checks that they'll, they'll hand out. Like, why? Uh, worried, why? <laughs> yeah, w- worried the checks might bounce. Actors reached out to their union. Actors' Equity is already raising alarms that the show owes $190,000 in unpaid union dues and benefit fund con- contributions. You know, they, they do these like... Uh, health, welfare, and interest, and all that stuff, they're $190,000 in arrears on that. They're not alone, by the way. Designers on the show say Drabinsky's show owes them more than $150,000 in unpaid wages and benefits. In an open letter, the cast called for their union to put Drabinsky on its do-not-work list, and now the union has complied. Actually, no, the union said, oh, he's already here. <laughs> no, but he I'm wasn't. Kidding. He wasn't. He should have been, but he wasn't. Big deal or big whoop? Exactly. Why was he not on the do not work list? He was in jail. He was disbarred from acting as a lawyer for the fraud he committed. Why would they ever allow him to come on, back? On to investors, US? by the way. Right. The fraud he committed for, on investors. Yeah, it wasn't for something unrelated. It's for theater stuff, live events and all that. My God. Like, he should be on the do not work list. They're so desperate for money and people. They're like, yeah, we'll give him another chance. I mean, but even if you did that, the fact that you wouldn't have him on a short leash and the second he's $500,000 behind in, in benefit payments or 440 or something or 340, I can't even keep track. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars behind. The second a check wasn't there, you should have been going, wait, nope, you're out. You know, you should say, oh, you're done. I mean, he's like, I was just trying to keep the show going. Yeah, come on. It's, it's Broadway. <laughs> Garth Drabinsky, a.k.a. The guy who actually just uh, added me on LinkedIn. Not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Uh, he'll probably, like, you know, uh, defriend me now I, that I've said all this. I love Ragtime. Didn't he do Ragtime? I think so, yeah. All right. I think he also owned uh, Deluxe uh, at one point. I think he may still own them. I don't yeah. know what's going on there. Uh, now, Lewis Black is the latest comedian to sue a streamer for copyright violation. Black is suing Pandora for $10 million, insisting the company knew it did not have all the rights to stream his albums. You know, but he did it in such a way that he, it just seemed like he was so pissed off. <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever seen him perform, he's just, he's like an angry man who's always just angry. Uh, comics, comics say their, their material should be treated the same as songwriters. When a song yeah. is played, both the owners of the recording and the owners of the publishing, that is, the people who wrote the damn song, get some money. Like Yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But here's the thing. When a streamer makes a comedy album available, it isn't paying any money to the person who originally wrote it. No publisher, no writer, nothing. Screw you, you clown. Okay, they may not actually say that, but... That would be kind of funny if they did. Yeah. Uh, in part, that's because there was actually nobody to pay. 
The first company to represent writers of comedy material didn't form until 2019. But now, says Black, it's time to pay up. That's exactly how we would there say it. Too. There you go. There you go. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it's interesting. There are lots of comics who have people contribute, like Richard Pryor. He partnered with famous writers, uh, you know, people who were famous for working with Pryor on his comedy albums and movies. Uh, Bob Hope pioneered the method of having the kids in the hall writing for you, not the Canadian troupe, but the people in the hallway trying to get a break. Here's a joke. You know, that that became a thing. Every late night comic depends on a room of writers. They all contribute. And if they can all get credit when that stuff is replayed, they should all get a penny, you know, a little money. I don't know what the standing is since there haven't been, you know, a rights group to push for them or to make a deal. Um, but in the old days, comedy albums is, well, you performed it, you get money, you don't get paid twice, you know, just because you wrote it. But now it seems like, you know, that's a legitimate idea going forward. If Lewis Black can get away with it and say, no, no, here are the legal reasons why, more power to him. Uh, or as I think it was, it was Lou Wasserman who said, I don't pay the plumber every time I flush the toilet. The, the, the famous yeah, universal. Yeah, there you go, yeah. I, I hope that was that's Lou Wasserman. An, unpl- an unpleasant anecdote, but I get the idea. Yeah, well, that's what he said. He don't blame me. He just doesn't want to pay actors. <laughs> right, well. Uh, musician Sean Mendez is taking a break. So, okay, next story. Here's, no, just kidding. <laughs> He's taking a break. And this is actually serious. The artist just launched a world tour to support his new album. But in a public post, Mendez said touring was always really hard. He thought he was ready to dive back in, but nope, he's not. So he's talking with his team and mental health professionals doing what he should be doing. Uh, And he said he is taking at least three weeks uh, off and he's taking a break to focus on his mental health. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's great. It really is. It's a shame that he started the tour and people bought tickets and all that. And that's the pressure, the lock. You get, oh, God, I can't cancel. It's like, no, no. If you're going off the rails, much better for you to pay whatever financial price and create a little habit for a few weeks and take care of that so that you can have a healthy, happy life. Because, you know, we saw Amy Winehouse. We're on our show saying people should not be booking her. She's not stable. She needs help. You should not be booking concerts by Amy Winehouse right now. That's just wrong. You know, people get exploited and they feel like they can't get off that train. And for him to be public about this is great. And, you know, I'm not going to criticize. You should have done stopped earlier or not started the tour. It's like, no, no. Whenever you realize you're in crisis, you should raise your hand and say, I need help and get it. And great for him because a lot of young people like him. Do your daughters know him and like him? I mean, he's very popular. So good for him. I think it's great. You know, I see Harry Styles who is on top of the world. And I think, oh man, I, I wouldn't really want to be him. The pressure of like creating albums and having all those teams of people around you and making these videos and the touring and all that. It is just a, a grinder of, I mean, I'm happy to work hard, but it's just a overwhelming pressure. And, you know, it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy. So good for Sean to speak up and do that. But Harry Styles, you know, he makes it look easy. But believe me, it's a pressure cooker. But boy, like Sean Mendes, he's really on top of the world. His new song, As It Was, which is terrific, is that number one for the 10th week now only 42 songs in the entire history of the hot 100 on billboard which goes back to about 1958 only 42 songs have been at number one for 10 weeks or more and now harry style has one of them in fact columbia his label has 10 of them more than any other label they've had three in the last 12 months so they're quite on the roll so you know when i heard as it was uh and, and when you listen to it i thought 
It does Aha, the Norwegian rock band, you know, pop band, do they know about this song? Because it's got a lick in it that sounds exactly like Take On Me, the oh. Aha's big I'll have, hit. I'll have to check it out. I didn't notice that. And then somebody actually on, I guess it was TikTok, mashed up the songs because it's that similar. <laughs> they did a mashup. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know, uh, you know, well, time will tell whether Aha goes, wait a second, that sounds a lot like our song. But in any case, in the meantime, uh, maybe you'll you'll see that video on Leave YouTube. Leave alone. <laughs> I don't oh think it's plagiaristic. Goodness. I mean, I know the Aha song pretty pretty damn well. Um, and I've listened to the Harry Styles song, and uh, that doesn't ring a bell. But I'll, I'll check it out. But whatever it is, it's probably just incidental. I know it. You mash them together, and it sounds like, oh my God, he stole it. It's like there are only so many chords in the world. And I don't listen to As It Was and think, man, that is so aha, you know. No, 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 no. It's, it's one little section. And let's put it this way. I thought about it as mm-hmm. I heard it for like the first or, se- or second time. I was like, that sounds kind of like aha. Uh, and I, I kind of like put it in the back of my mind. Well, like what part? Right. Yeah, that part, actually. Yeah. Well, okay. So I kind of mentioned YouTube because here's a new jumble of letters that you're going to have to remember, Michael. Okay. 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 First, small v. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then capital MVPD. Okay. Here's the thing. That's a virtual, that's the small V, multi-channel video programming distributor. Now, if that name kind of sounds like ugh, it's too many words, well, it's basically cable TV. That's what cable TV providers are. They are no, MVPDs. No. Right. But virtual MVPD is? Well, it's this a streamer. You know, instead of getting your TV bundle from a cable provider like Spectrum and Sky or a satellite provider like DirecTV, you get your TV channel bundle from a streamer like YouTube TV or Hulu's live TV tier. Ah. They're starting to catch up. This, I'm like, wait, this is a story? Of course they're catching up. They're, they're starting to catch fire, though, probably because Michael uses YouTube TV. And now that you're on TikTok and all the, the, the socials, exactly. you're an influencer, of course, just That's like right. we, we knew you'd be. That's right. uh, the latest figures show YouTube TV and Hulu uh, and a few other major providers providers have about 12.4 million subscribers or almost 20% of the North American TV total bundle subscribe. You know, they're getting up there. People okay? paying for t- pay TV. Right. They got a big, they got one out of five. That's a lot. Yeah. And that, that includes major networks, live TV, cable channels like CNN and so on. 20%. And by the way, of course, they're growing. Okay, these VMVPDs, while basic cable is slowing down, if not kind of declining between you and me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's the same business, okay? It's just offered by a different technology. People are cutting the cord, but they're not dumping TV, okay? It's like, okay, I might not, you know, if I get an electric car, it's not like, well, I'm no longer into transportation. No, I'm going to walk everywhere. Uh, No, I'm just not going to stop by the gas station. So big deal or big whoop? It, it can be cheaper, though, of course, the cost is already up to $65, $70 for most of them. Uh, but that's less than 110 You were paying for a probably similar package of, you know, equal satisfaction from your cable provider. So you still got to pay for your Wi-Fi, your Internet. But instead of paying 110 115 you're paying 65 Oh, but you're also paying separately for HBO and you're paying separately for Showtime. And you're paying separately, maybe for a Disney and ESPN Plus, and maybe some of Except that is, for all the, 
extra Except stuff. for all the passwords I'm sharing. That's not true at all. I mean, I only <laughs> pay for the... I'm kidding. Nonetheless, it's people are not giving up on TV. TV's not dying. If cable dies, it's not because people aren't watching TV. It's because they're just getting it from satellite or a streamer. So it's just, look, it was overpriced for too long. In some ways, uh, YouTube TV can be more flexible. I don't have a limited DVR. I have unlimited. They've got some quirks I don't like that I wish they'd figure out, but and ways of handling the, the content. But basically, if I click a show and record it, they just tape every episode ever, and it's available at least on demand. So, you know, it works great. It's just the same thing. YouTube has about 5 million subscribers. Hulu's live TV version has about 4.1 million. Sling TV has 2.2 million. So, and that's here in North America alone. I mean, thank, thank Sky you for and Vodafone and all right. of the, these places in the UK have right. orange or non cable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, YouTube TV is now the fifth largest provider in North America after Comcast, Charter, Direct TV, and Dish, and it's growing, and they're probably not. Yeah. Well, uh, that said, uh, you know, I, there's an, anecdotally, I can tell you the number of people that have called their cable providers and said, listen, if you don't lower my rate, I'm going to go to YouTube or I'm going to go to Hulu and they have cut deals. I, imagine oh, yeah. what happens when you have competition. Exactly. Go figure. It's maybe why, you know, these MVPDs and these cable providers don't want competition. The times they are a changing people get used to it. Wait, you know, I knew a guy once who actually wrote a song with that same title. You mm -hmm. know that? Uh, he's a little, uh, I haven't seen Was it him. a ha? Oh, actually, uh, no, it wasn't a ha, but he actually just played uh, the Hollywood Palladium, I think it was. Oh. All I can tell you is, boy, the tickets were really, oh no, it was the Pantages Theater here in, in Los Angeles. Tickets were like $300. I was like, oh, I'm totally not going to pay that much money to see Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> you, you never know, know if he's going to be good or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know what? That actually brings us to Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business. More importantly, well, you know how they affect you. So here's the deal. Bob Dylan has a new recording of Blowing in the Wind, one of his big hit songs. He sold it for $1.8 million. Now, this gets a little complicated, so stick with me here. Bob Dylan, okay, and producer T-Bone Burnett created a unique one-off recording of Blowing in the Wind. It uses technology that Burnett is backing. That technology is not meant to become a new universal standard like, say, a compact disc or long playing record or MP3. MP3 is an open standard now, okay? Think of this specific recording as more like a painting than a piece of recording that everyone will listen to. If you want to hear this specific recording, you must own it and the owner doesn't have the right to post even a copy of it online. Though it already is online, apparently. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, apparently it's, yeah. Uh, a copy would not be akin, by the way, to this recording any more than your iPhone photo of the Mona Lisa that you put on Instagram counts as the Mona Lisa. You can't go and sell that photo as if it were the Mona Lisa. Nobody would care. <laughs> yeah. Now, this unique work of art, this new version of Blowing in the Wind, has sold at auction for $1.8 million dollars that's t-bone's dream to make music valuable again to you record it and then you have technology that says nope this is the technology call it the record player okay this record player will only play this song period 
And oh, by the way, you need this record player to listen to this song. No, so you can't it'll, copy it'll, play, it'll play on any any turntable, actually. So I oh, imagine really? the person who spent one point eight million for it has a very nice turntable. <laughs> yeah, oh. it apparently is playable on a standard turntable. Okay, but, well, but that's that's you know playing that piece of art rather than something that anyone can stream for pennies anywhere in the world. So I was a little confused. T-Bone talked about this and he mentioned what he was going to try and do. And before we had the auction and he gave an interview to, I think, Variety, I was like, what is he talking about? None of this makes sense. Finally, we had the auction. It worked tremendously well. And once he spoke a little more at length, I understood where he was coming from. So walk us through this. Bring up the first topic. Well, is the first topic that it's not a new music formula? Let's start there, that's okay? Right, because that's that's, right. where, that's where I want to start. Right, because we thought, well, what do you mean? What is this format? What do you mean it's going to cost so much? How? What will we play it on? What is this? But it's not a new music format like a cassette or CD. It's not meant to be technology that everyone will embrace, and all albums will be done this way, and everything will be released and heard. It's not like Neil Young and Ponos. It's just something to create a unique, specific piece of art in this case an audio recording it's at a very high standard and it's a unique standard though you can play it on a turntable but it's not meant to be a broad-based system format it's just that's a way of of creating a piece of art that's kind of why i went down the road of you can't play it on you know i i thought that's where you were going to go next so that's i was trying to softball you there by saying like hey you can't play it on a turntable well yes you can because it's not a new music format that's <laughs> yes, that's what i didn't get about this i was like well what's preventing me from like i don't know playing well, it you don't for have, you, 500 don't have the, people. you don't have the right so you, when you bought this piece of art you don't have the right you know if you buy a piece of art you don't have the right to make copies of it you know and sell it to the world you know you don't have that right you've bought that unique work of art and yet you know, Andy Warhol still has the right to make sell posters of it. You know, you don't own the right to merchandise it and sell it off anywhere. You have the right to that piece and you have certain rights to sell it again. Some, in some cases, you must sell a piece of art back to the auction. You know, there are rules and regulations around what you can do with the art. In this case, if you bought this $1.8 million specific recording of Blowing in the Wind that doesn't exist anywhere else, you have the right to listen to it. You can Play it to your friends. You can't open up a movie theater and you know charge 20 bucks for people to hear it. You could donate it to a museum, but the other people who have rights to the song in various ways, the publishers and obviously Dylan and T-Bone, they have to agree with what's done with it. But say you wanted to donate it to the Bob Dylan Museum that just opened up or you know some other museum like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they would presumably say, yes, we're fine with that, and that would be okay. And then people who wanted to could go to that museum and hear that unique version, like they would go to the Met and see Starry Night by Van Gogh, you know, so that's the idea. I was going to go to the Met and see Tosca. Yeah, so he, he explained himself. He gave a long <laughs> well, it's an opera joke. How often do you hear an opera joke? You're right, you're right. I should have given you your due. Bravo, bravo. So T-Bone gave a long interview to Variety and explained himself, but it was very rambling and confused. Well, here's the question. Okay, this new format, this new... What is the sound quality like? I mean, right. is it is it better than what it, you know, or it is just, it just like, no, it's a record. The sound quality is great and it's unique. And But he, in his interview, he's bitching about the sound quality of digital audio and MP3s in general, a la Neil Young, which is sure, great, I agree, though the sound quality of lossless audio and the higher, higher formats that you can get now automatically on Spotify and Amazon Music, they're getting CD quality level, but... 
This endeavor does nothing to deal with sound quality. It has nothing to do with it. It's not like he's proposing a standard that everyone can adapt. So his pitching all about, about the Benjamins. It's exactly. all about the Benjamins. Exactly. So sound quality, yeah, he doesn't like it, but this does nothing to change that. So then really he's he's saying, look, you know, I might write a song, put it on an album, it'll play on radio, it'll sell a lot, and maybe in its lifetime, that one song, I'll make one point eight million dollars from it. Okay. But now I don't get residuals, so uh, you know what? Uh, I want, I'm want. i just going to get all my residuals at once. Well, right. He bitched about the crappy residuals that artists and songwriters get from streamers like Spotify. Also true, just like sound quality. But again, what he's proposing doesn't fix that. It doesn't fix the residual problem for the songwriters who have their music on all these streaming services. It does something for the very rare artists like Bob Dylan, to a degree, who can record something and have people bid $1.8 million for them. You care less about the bad residuals, but T-Bone's complaining about sound quality residuals. This does nothing to change that. So, okay, so it's been cheapened by streaming. We all know that. We've talked about that here on this program quite a bit, actually, that, that streaming has basically, you know, where you used to make 25 cents, you're now making pennies. Well, it's just, it's just like when they switched from vinyl to CD. They said, oh, my God, this new format, you really got to cut us a break and give us lower rates because, you know, we got to support this new format. It's all, don't ever let them do that. Oh, we're switching to, you know, DVDs from VHS. You got to cut us a break. Well, us poor studios, how are we going to sell ET on DVD? You know, they make gazillions of dollars and the people behind the art lose out. And so that happened in the switch to new formats. It's happened with streaming. And Tebow wants to prove music is valuable again, or at least valued. And this is something his new endeavor does. For a world-famous artist who's already wealthy, like Bob Dylan, sure, doing a new version of one of the most famous songs of all time can, rent, can rake in $1.8 million. Great. That does nothing for the struggling artist. However, Tebow wants to see what happens in the art world. He thinks it will work for smaller acts. Artists are already getting fans to like fun recording via you know, Kickstarter of a new album, right? So maybe an act like Los Lobos or Richard Thompson, somebody who's well-known and established but not a huge artist like Dylan, maybe they can do a unique recording and some of their super fans will pay, you know, $10,000 to own a unique Los Lobos, just, you know, just like they did with uh, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, right? Oh, you know, right. I, you, by the way, do you know that uh, I'm not doing that? I don't care who it is. Well, I, I actually, I actually, I don't have ten thousand dollars, but I can, I've bought pieces of art. I could actually see people spending, you know, maybe a thousand dollars on Prefab Sprout. I love them. They're not a huge act, but there are people who are fanatic about that band or Steely Dan's big band. But you know, there are acts who have fanatical followings who love them and would be willing to spend the money—not millions, but. That's what they can get on the open market. So it's a way for artists who aren't making as much money from album sales as they used to, to reach out and create something that a certain fan can buy. It gives the artist money and helps them keep going. And the idea is like in the art world, you buy art from new rising artists. You know, an agent says, oh, this guy's an up and comer. He's great. There are people who just buy it as investments or there are people who want to support young artists that they really like their work. So they buy that, not necessarily to make big money back, but to support them. And then they hold on to it and he becomes Basquiat and they make a ton of money or they just keep it because they love it. So, so yeah, I, so, I could see a new act starting who's not anybody and you hear them, see them in a club and you go, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on something of theirs to boost them, give them a heads up and maybe I'll cash in 20 years from now when they become Harry Styles or something like that. So that could work. That is possible. I can see that. 
The only problem is I don't really like the art world. You know, we're talking about investing in gambling and speculating. It's like, okay, it's another revenue stream for artists. I guess it could work for smaller artists, but mostly it's about people who are already wealthy getting wealthier. And in general, you know, he wants to bring some of the big bucks of the art world to the world of music. Great. However, let's not forget one of the great things about music is that if we listen to pet sounds, we're hearing the same damn recording that Elon Musk is hearing and Bill Gates. That's the beauty of it, that it is universal, that you can watch a movie and see the same movie that billionaires see. You can read the same book. You can listen to the same albums. And I want them to have great sound quality. I want artists to get better residuals, but T-Bone's not fixing that. Uh, I want some artists I love to get a little bit more money, but this is not about that. Creating a gambling scene around the music business is like the art world. Okay, but I'd rather he focused on fixing sound quality, fixing residuals, and helping create a better ecosystem so people don't have to hawk their ass, you know, like, here, who wants to buy a piece of me? You know, can just tour and make music and make a living that way. But So you're saying the idea isn't necessarily dead on arrival, but you're not all for it. I don't think it's dead on arrival at all, but I don't, I don't, under, you know, I can see it working and helping and I get, under, I finally understand what he's trying to do. But most of the stuff he's bitching about, I agree with, and this does nothing to fix that. It does create a new revenue stream. I can see it working for some low and mid-level acts, though I assume most of the people who can get access to this are already going to be pretty damn established. But do we really want to be like the art world? I don't think so. It's kind of a, you know, exclusive, you know, upper crusty echelon-y thing. I'm not, not a big fan of it. What I love about music is it's so democratic. We all get to see the acting concert. We all get to hear the same music. And I want it to be at the best sound quality level ever and the best residuals. So he's not as crazy as I thought he was, but I'm not sure the art world is one you want to imitate. You know, we don't have to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to hear the Beatles Abbey Road. But if you want to see Starry Night or whatever's playing there, you got to go to the Met to see it. It's the only place in the world, which is cool. It's a unique piece of art. That's great. Maybe this Dylan thing will end up at the Dylan Museum. I hope I can afford to fly to whatever city it's in and hear it. But that's not what I love about music. You know, I love the fact that everybody can listen to it all the time. It can be a part of your life. Do I want music to be siloed in museums around the world or somebody's private home? No, not really. That doesn't excite me. Richard Thompson records something great. I want to hear it. <laughs> Sorry. You know, and a poster is not the same thing. Well, I, I threw you a softball there. Oh, I missed it. it. it, it be, oh, it you did. Dead, dead on arrival. Oh, that's right. Yeah, people, I, people die. You know, I, you know what it is? Here's the thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you outside the country, like, like say, Michael right now. That's right. This is the time of summer uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, in North America, actually in the United States. Well, yeah, North America, where uh, the baseball teams take a break and they go on the all, you know, they, they basically play an all-star game. So all the good players get together in one. And so Michael is just, he's like, I'm on break. I'm not baseball references. You throw me softballs. I'm not going to hit those. I'm on break. <laughs> People have died and we love to celebrate their lives, or at least I do. So composer Monty <laughs> Norman is dead at 94, all right? He wrote the theme song to James Bond, Mike Drop. Right. What else do you need to know? The theme was first. You, you could literally retire right there. Well, he did. Basically, he wrote the yeah. theme originally for a stage adaptation of the novel A House for Mr. Biswas, the breakthrough by Nobel Prize winner V.S. Naipaul. Great book. Great author. Maybe not necessarily a great person. But anyway, Monty Norman did it. Dun, 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 dun. It'll live forever as long as the planet exists. John Barry was the arranger on the song, though he's often confused and credited as the composer. In fact, the Times of London once said he created and 
Monty Norman was like, no, don't say that. It's me. So very cool. Uh, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, Takahashi Kazuki. He dies at the age of 60, unfortunately. He worked in the comics industry for more than a decade until he hit pay dirt. Yu-Gi-Oh! began as a manga about a kid who solves an ancient puzzle and is endowed with a gaming alter ego. A key part of the manga was a fictional trading card game called Duel Monsters. And when the series became sort of a hit, they said, hey, we should, you know, sort of a thing, just create a, a real trading card game. That's a cool idea. And that became a worldwide smash whose overwhelming popularity is the driving force behind the franchise. The original manga ran from 1996 to 2004, spun off more mangas, TV shows, video games, movies. It's one of the most successful franchises of all time, raking in $17 billion and counting. Uh, we're not still quite clear how he died or why, but, you know, it's a sad day for all. And, you know, we're also not clear on why Jack Knight died. Uh, he is a comedian, kind of an up-and-coming comedian, uh, and he... He has a, a bunch of uh, Netflix specials, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he died. They're not saying why, but at 28, I mean, yeah. he's 28 years He was no, 28 years don't, old. We don't know what happened. He was a stand-up comic. He made the Leap TV. Uh, he worked as a writer, story editor. He had various producing credits, on even on shows like Blackish. He voiced a character and wrote for Big Mouth, the animated series. That was a real key turning point for him. And his hard work was just paying off. He had an original series called Bust Down that debuted this March on Peacock that he co-created and wrote and starred in along with his co-stars. Plus, he just notched his first film credit in a movie called First Time Female Director. Uh, and he spells his name without a C. He's Jack Knight, J-A-K. So he's cool. But what a, uh, it's a sad day, obviously. Well, not like Jack Sparrow or Jack Absolute, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. An actor, singer, TV trailblazer, Adam Wade, died at 87. Now, Wade worked as a lab tech in the 1950s for Dr. Jonas Salk, who developed the polio vaccine. So that's kind of cool, right in the era when he was doing that. But then he signed a record deal. He's like, hold on, I've been working on polio, but now I think I'll sing a song. He signed a record deal in 1959 and scored three top 10 hits, all in a smooth ballad style. Uh, uh, he, he opened for Tony Bennett. He played with the brother of his idol, Nat King Cole, and appeared on some game shows. Then he jumped to Epic Records. They lost Johnny Mathis, and they said, okay, he'll be our new Johnny Mathis. And the hits didn't come. Then he appeared in a string of movies and TV shows like Shaft, Across 110th Street, Phantom of the Paradise, and lots and lots of TV. Uh, most of the parts were minor, but he made history in 1975 when... Well, he was the first black person to host a network game show, that's for sure. That's right. It was Musical Chairs, a show created by Don Kirshner, and contestants tried to come up with lyrics and song titles. I would suck at that. He was helped along by performances of The Spinners, Irene Cara, and the like, and he got all sorts of hate mail just because he was hosting a game show. Hate mail, can you imagine? A station in Alabama refused to air it because <laughs> a black man was on the show and it was canceled after just a few months. Uh, but you Are can't- you cancel- like in 1975? Are you oh. serious? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, well, also another musician, Delphonic singer William Poogie Hart died at the age of 77. That's right, he was the lead singer of the Delphonics, better known as Poogie. The band launched in 68 with him and legendary producer Tom Bell writing a lot of the songs together. They had immediate success with La La Means I Love You and Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time. And then 
They had a fan in Quentin Tarantino. He makes great use of music in his movies. Sometimes I hear a song, I think I want it for a movie. And I'm like, I hope Quentin doesn't use it first. Uh, he used several of their songs prominently in the film Jackie Brown, and that gave him a whole new resurgence. So that was very cool. And of course, actor James Caan died at the age of 82. One of the greats. He was nominated for major awards just two times. He got an Emmy nomination for his breakthrough role in the big hit TV movie, Brian's Song. He didn't win, but he sure made grown men cry. And he received just one Oscar nomination. That was Best Supporting Actor for, of course, The Godfather. He lost, and you might consider an outrage that he didn't win, except he was competing against Al Pacino and Robert Duvall, also for The Godfather, and all three of them lost to Joel Gray for Cabaret. So, you know, <laughs> hard to pick between those guys. He turned down a lot of roles, including Han Solo in Star Wars, which I could totally see. But he made a lot of good films, too. Among his best, Rollerball, Thief, Chapter 2, Misery, Flesh and Bone, a very good film. Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, Lars von Trier's Dogville, Honeymoon in Vegas, Elf. And he did a voice in the animated film Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And guess what? He and Sally Field made a movie called Kiss Me Goodbye. It was sort of a bland spin on Topper, where the ghostly James Caan helps his widowed wife, Sally Field, move on and find love. It was not good, but it was my first movie premiere. They premiered it somehow in South Florida at the Sunrise Cinema. You know, you can practically see the water standing outside the theater. And I don't know how my sister Leslie and my cousin Vicky got tickets, but they took me to see the movie. We thought it was great. At the time, was, yay, we're seeing a movie for the first, you know. We're one of those very friendly audiences in places that never gets premieres. We're like, ah! Every joke was hilarious, and the audience clapped and cheered. I don't think James Caan and Sally Field were there. I think it was, like, just the director. But we loved it. Oh, well. <laughs> it was fun. You know, you loved it, much like our audience loves our show, oh, everyone, which is did. why they subscribe. <laughs> Yeah, and by the way, you should, if you're listening to us for the first time and you haven't subscribed, uh, please do. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, TuneIn. Anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find us there. And if you can't, please do let us know. Now, in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so, not all of them do, but the ones that do, please do rate and review the show. It helps us out when you do. And you know you haven't. You know you haven't because the vast majority of you haven't. Please make our day. Yes, please do. Uh, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us or ways to contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a, a voicemail, 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. And I'm about to say I something. I forgot to ask at the beginning of the show, uh, do we have an episode next week? We do oh, not. God, why did I forget to ask at the top so we could tell people at the top? Oh. Why not? Why not? I'm in London and I'm sitting in an office in the sweltering heat at at um one twenty in the morning just so we can record the show. I do everything for our fans. What about you, Sperling? What's your big excuse? I travel the globe, but somehow I travel the globe and find places that have Wi-Fi. What's your excuse? 
Uh, well, I'm actually going to a place that may or may not have Wi-Fi. Yeah, how That's do you find places without Wi-Fi? People in Timbuktu have Wi-Fi. Where are you going that doesn't have Wi-Fi? Hawaii. Hawaii doesn't have Wi-Fi? I think that might be news to Hawaiians. <laughs> They're going to respond no, to the you place on that I'm staying. I don't... Going, Yo, Sperling, uh, we have Hawaii. We have Wi-Fi. Aloha, Sperling. We no, have my, my fear is that I'll get there and it'll be like, yes, you have Wi-Fi. It's two megabit per Why? second. Why? Are you going to an isolated island? No, it's Kauai. Of course they have Wi-Fi. Is, well, uh, you know, maybe. You maybe. Tune they in. Hawaii 5 out of there. Or did. <laughs> Not on Kauai. <laughs> God. Uh, you just you just don't care. <laughs> By the way, nice way to tie in James Conn and Scott oh, Conn, nice. star right. of the new, <laughs> new Hawaii Five. Right. Uh, now, right before I uh, disappointed Michael, apparently uh, immensely, uh, at, you know, I was going to mention that all of the information that I had just rattled off could be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. By the way, you know, the music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show, that can be found on the website of MGMT, the popular indie rock band. Uh, their website is whoismgmt.com. Of course, they're also on all of the, the, the popular streaming sites. Uh, Michael Giltz is a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? A-ha.com. Aha.com, the official website for Aha. Actually, it's we do have Wi Fi in Hawaii.com. <laughs> okay, well, if you can't find uh, any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on any one of the websites that Michael just rattled off, why not head on over to MichaelGiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated? Some of my work can be found on CelluloidJunkie.com until, well, at least a week. But probably two. Maybe two. Play nice. <laughs>